Pastor Albert would have liked to share with you truly his heart is if even you were married to a woman who is a, a mother, you too want to show lots and lots of honor to that woman. That is, I know his heart. That's, that's exactly what he would tell you. Uh, hallelujah. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. That's right. Well, it's good to see everybody today. My name's Scott, one of our pastors here at Generations Church, and uh, it's always fun uh, this day to get to honor the, the ladies uh, among us performing or, or who have performed uh, the most challenging and I'm told the most rewarding job on the planet, motherhood. You are our heroes, so we say thank you so much. We get to say thank you to the ladies who have undertaken this holy calling. Amen. We can give you a hand. All right. Bravo to the moms. Bravo. And of course, Mother's Day, uh, it's also a day we, we, we celebrate our moms. We celebrate um, the moms who are among us. We also, it's a day to, to remember extra strongly those hero moms who have already graduated to heaven, have gone on before us. Um, you know, and if that's you today, if, if Mother's Day for you tends to be kind of a bittersweet day, um, time for you. We want you to know that we love you. We embrace you. And we would just love it if you would consider all of us just sort of your extended family today, because we want to celebrate together. But I want to tell you moms and you grandmoms who are here today, uh, who are listening live, or maybe you're listening by podcast or on live stream today, I want to give you a big thank you, because raising kids... Uh, takes incredible physical and intellectual and emotional and spiritual energy, right? Uh, it's rewarding and all that stuff, but yeah, it takes energy, right? Uh, kids are tough to keep up, keep up with. I got a little video here. It's got some sound to it. Let's see if uh, you can watch this. I'm sorry, Mom, for all the endless piles of laundry. Arms up. Sorry for not giving you one moment of silence. I'm sorry for everything. I'm sorry, Mom, for all those times that I came home late. Sorry for always fighting with my brother. For treating you like an ATM machine. breaking your heart over and over by thinking I knew better. Parenting is the hardest thing I've ever done. But I've learned how to do it from you. Thank you for teaching me. That giving of myself is the strongest way to live. That allowing my kids to fail will teach them the greatest lesson. Thank you. For teaching me that I can go one more day. That parenting is the greatest honor in the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, and I am sorry. The older you grow, the more things you find to go back and say, I am sorry. So sorry for. Um, And guys, men, I don't want to leave you out today. So guys, we're going to take a little test today. Um, I'm going to talk to you just for a second. I recently heard about this test. Some of you may have heard it. I didn't make this up. It's called the mother test. 
the mother test. And just for fun, we're going to take it this morning. There's three parts to this test to see if you could be a mother, if you have what it takes to be a mother. Are you qualified? Guys, I'm going to tell you, you will not pass all three of these. So just, I'm telling you now, here we go. How to know if you're qualified to be a mother. The first part of the test, part one, is called the toy test. Here's what you do. Obtain a 55-gallon box of Legos. You may substitute thumbtacks. Have a friend spread them throughout your home on the floor. Put on a blindfold. Try to walk from the bathroom or the kitchen And do not scream because that would wake a child at night. Right? The toy test. Okay. Second part of this test. It's called the supermarket test. This is good. Borrow one or two small animals. Goats work best. (laughs) Take them with you as you shop. Always keep them in sight and pay for anything that they eat or damage. Until you can accomplish this, do not even contemplate having children. (laughs) Men, as you notice, you are already failing this test. The third part of this test is called the all-night test. Can you make it through the night? Here we are. Number three, prepare by obtaining a small cloth bag. Fill it with about 10 pounds of sand. Soak it thoroughly in water. At 3 p.m. in the afternoon, it began to waltz and hum until 9 p.m. Lay down your bag of sand. Set your alarm for 10 p.m. Then get up. Pick up your bag of sand and sing every song you have ever heard. Make up about a dozen more songs until about 4 a.m. Then set your alarm for 5 a.m. Get up and make breakfast. Keep this up for five years. Look cheerful. <laughs> All right. So how many of you men could be a mother? There's no hands, right? The, answer, the right answer is none, guys, just in case you're wondering. The right answer is none. The, I, I read the story of a professor at an Ivy League college. He told the story of his wife, who was a stay-at-home mom. He's a professor at Ivy League College. His wife is a stay-at-home mom. And at faculty functions, little cocktail parties and things like that, she would invariably get asked what she did for a living. And she said that she, as a stay-at-home mom, would always feel a little patronized, you know, by the, these people who are sort of part of the intelligentsia. And so they would ask her, and she would tell them. And uh, it was almost as if what she did, it didn't really count. So she decided to redefine her role. The next time someone asked her at one of these little faculty luncheons, what she did. She said this. She said, I am socializing two homo sapiens in the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. That's pretty good. (laughs) And then she she would pause for a second and and go, and what is it that you do? (laughs) And they'd be like, uh, I teach economics, you know. Uh, today, today I want to look at a, a story in the Bible uh, about a remarkable woman in Scripture named Deborah. Come on now, Deborah. There you go. Deborah. Now, I, the, the actual Hebrew pronunciation is Deborah, but my crack team of advisors, meaning my wife, 
said that would be obnoxious to say all morning long. So we're going to say Deborah. Okay. Um, so we're going to be reading from the fourth and fifth chapters of Judges, if you're with us, uh, if you have your Bible. Uh, let me give you some background of what's going on in this story. These are the days of the, ju- the age of the judges of Israel. This is the year to kind of get situated. The years after, you know, the children of Israel came out of Egypt, came out of slavery, wandered around in the wilderness forever, and then they got to the promised land. They made it to the promised land. They sacked Jericho. They finally are in their promised land of Canaan. But for about 400 years, they lived there. And it's before the age of the kings, King Saul, David, Solomon, all those guys. So before the age of the kings, but after they made it to the promised land, is called the age of the judges. So the Israelites live in this land, Canaan. But here's the thing, it's still kind of filled with Canaanites. Uh, This is the group of people who weren't exactly super excited about leaving just because Israel arrived. Uh, So under Joshua... When they first arrived, Israel conquered and they occupied most of the promised land of Canaan, but not all of it. There was still Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, uh, Perizzites, uh, Hivites, and Jebusites. They all remained. So Israel's in a constant state of war. And Israel, for about 400 years, they don't have a king. They're looked after by a series of judges, these, these men who act as leaders. They act as prophets and they settle disputes and things like that. So the problem is, after Joshua's death, after they arrive at the promised land, soon after that, the Israelites, they start to intermarry with the foreigners who already lived there uh, against God's wishes. And soon, because the people of God, are, they're bowing down to pagan idols, they've removed themselves from God and his protection. The scripture tells us that the Israelites were conquered and oppressed Uh, by one enemy after the other. This was just kind of a continual thing. So at the time of Deborah, the Israelites had lived under martial law for about 20 years. So let's look at this scripture in Judges 5, 7. In Judges 5, it says, Village life in Israel ceased, ceased until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. In their misery, Israel cried out to God. They cry out to the Lord for help. So God sends a mom to the rescue. Amen? Now notice here, it doesn't say a judge arose. It doesn't say a great military strategist arose. It doesn't say a prophetess arose. Although incidentally, Deborah was all those things. She is all those things. No, how is she, how is she praised here? It says a mother arose. Don't try to send a man to do a mom's job. Amen? This is another example of a woman who rose to the occasion. We see this over and over. Women who rise to the occasion. We see it in our own age, in our own history. Think about women in our recent history. 60 years ago, Rosa Parks, she exposed racism by refusing to give up her seat on a Montgomery, Alabama bus. 160 years ago, the writer Harriet Beecher Stowe, she exposed uh, slavery and and the evils of slavery, writing uh, the book called Uncle Tom's Cabin. Uh, Back in 1912, a a woman named Emmeline Pankhurst, she went to jail a dozen times in her fight for a woman's right to vote. A dozen times. And in the Old Testament, a woman named Deborah 
restores peace and freedom for 40 years by leading a successful military campaign against the Canaanites. How many of you know that talk is cheap? Talk is cheap, right? And you moms know this. You dads know this too. You can say about 100 times, uh, you know, get down, stop doing that, sit down, be quiet. You can say it about 100 times. But it's when you start to get up that if your kids are like mine, they go, okay, okay, wait, 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 okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. There's no reason to back up your talk with action. I'm going to do it now, right? That's all Mel has to do. After the fifth time, she just just starts to stand. Okay, okay, mom, I'm right. Jeez, I'm going to do it. Talk is cheap. Um, it's the people who, who get up every day and they make the change that they want to see that really make a difference. They become the change that they really want to see. Those are the people who make a difference. I can always count on my beautiful wife, Melissa, to let me know when I have talked and complained enough. And when it's time, she she's patiently, patiently listens and listens, and, and, then, and then finally she goes, it's time for you to hush and do something about it, right? She's great at that. It's easy to complain and criticize, isn't it? It's easy, but we aren't called to talk about what's wrong. We're called to do what's right. That goes for all of us. We're, we're not called to, to talk about what's wrong, to criticize what's wrong. We're called to do what is right. James chapter 2 says, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, faith is a great thing. It's this big deal, right? But if it's not accompanied by action, it is absolutely dead. In 1980, a woman named Candy Leitner, her 13-year-old daughter, Carrie, was killed by a drunk driver. And the man responsible for doing it had two prior convictions for this, and, uh, he, and he had never, ever served time. And he never served time for killing Leitner's daughter. So Candy Leitner... She could have become just really critical of the judicial system and get, got really bitter and let anger just eat her alive. But she decided to do something about it. So she formed an organization, a little organization called MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. And for 40 years, 40 years later, that organization today has over 3 million members and 600 chapters worldwide. And it's probably impossible to know how many innocent lives have been saved through the efforts of mad. Why? Because in the words of Judges 5-7, a mother arose. A mother arose. Let's read a little bit about Deborah. Find out a little about her. In chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court. In other words, she's giving legal counsel to people. They have complaints. Uh, Under the date palm tree of Deborah, was named after her, between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, the Israelites would come up to her to have their disputes settled. How many of you have at least two kids? You know what it's like to hold court, right? You've been here, right? I see this play itself out every day before the judge in our home. The two injured parties come. Mom, he hit me. Well, because he won't play with me. Well, it's because he is making fun of me. Because he's a dorkwad. (laughs) Right? And very often, the judgment that is pronounced is, I'm done with you. Go see your father. (laughs) 
right? <laughs> um, no, no, no. All of her judgments are pure and just. Um, <laughs> now, there's two cool things here I like about, that it points out about Deborah. First, she's a judge. Now, this is a big deal. Turns out she is the first and only judge ever in Israel. Oh, a female judge. Female judge. The only one. 400 years of the age of the judges, and she is the only woman. So this is a big deal. She is highly, highly respected. Um, second, she's a prophetess. It calls her a prophetess. The only other person who was a combination of prophet and judge was, that we, we learn about in Scripture is Samuel. That's the only other combination prophet-judge. So Deborah is a prophet, prophetess, and a judge. Also goes on to say she's a singer-songwriter, so she's got kind of a, an impressive resume, right? Sweetie, she sounded more like you every day, right? So, so now what is a, let, let's ask, what is a, a prophetess? What is a prophetess back then? A prophet or a prophetess in the Old Testament. Basically, I think of them like this. A prophetess sees what others don't see because she sees with spiritual eyes. She sees what others don't see because she sees with spiritual eyes. Prophetesses have supernatural insight and foresight, and they say what they see. Uh, A prophetess speaks with spiritual authority. They know what to say and when to say it and when not to say it. They have this supernatural sense of timing. So in the Old Testament, the Jewish philosophers, they believed that becoming prophetic was really the crowning point of, of mental and spiritual development, becoming prophetic. You've, you've achieved everything. Here in the New Testament, that's where you and I live, the prophesy is a little different. It's not just that special one in a million person that reaches some kind of spiritual nirvana of getting to prophesy. Now, uh, it can be the supernatural byproduct of being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the supernatural byproducts of that is that you may prophesy, right? So there's a, there is a special calling that some people have, and that's dealt with in other areas of Scripture, a special calling of the prophet some people have. Some people may have a special gift of prophecy. But see, God may call any of us at any time to step into a prophetic role at some point in our lives, in the circles that he's put around us. Look at Acts chapter 2. Beautiful scripture. It says, in the last days, that's where we live. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So that's all of us, right? That's kind of cool. First uh, Corinthians 14 says, everyone who prophesies speaks to others for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So this is a clear scripture right here. It tells us what our, when we prophesy, what that does. It, prophecy serves three purposes, to build up, to urge forward, and to come alongside. That is to prophesy, right? A prophetic word, it'll strengthen, it'll encourage someone, it'll comfort someone. Prophets are people who see potential. Prophets see potential. They see in us what we can't see ourselves. They can see in our blind spots. They see our hidden strengths and our hidden weaknesses. 
When, when the Apostle Paul talked to Timothy, he, he saw something in Timothy. He saw potential. He said, do not neglect the gift that is within you, Timothy. Fan into flame the gift of God. See, Timothy, we kind of learned through the writings, Timothy was timid. He kind of had inferiority issues. And Paul comes and plays the role of prophet in his life. The German writer Goethe said, treat a man as he is, and he will remain as he is. Treat a man as he can be, and he should be, and he will become as he can be and as he should be. If you treat a person as they are, they're going to remain as they are, especially people you have influence with. But you treat that person as they can be, as they should be. They will come to prove you right. They will become as they can be and as they should be. So a prophet brings out our best by believing the best and speaking to us God's perspective on things. We all need a prophet in our life to speak to us God's perspective on things. Now think about it. Who on earth does this better than a mom? That is what a mom does best. They see in us what we don't see in ourselves. They see in us what nobody else sees. And they speak God's perspective into our life. When everybody else gives up, moms keep believing in their kids, right? Moms keep believing in their kids. I've noticed uh, there's kind of two kinds of moms, like in church. You know, like every once in a while, if if a child, like in kids' world or something like that, kind of gets a little energetic and, you know, hits another child or, you know, tries to bite their neck or something... (laughs) hit them with hammers or something like that. Sometimes you got to call a mom or something like that. And there's kind of two kinds of moms out there, I've noticed. The first mom, you come to the door and you say, ah, oh, little Johnny, you know, he's a little too much sugar or something. And, and that mom grabs little Johnny and says, oh, you are going to get it. And they're going down the hall, right? And no, mama, no. You know, and it's, it's happening right there. <laughs> but there's this second kind of mama that comes. And, oh, little Johnny did this. And, oh, no, 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 no. My child is perfect. You don't see in my child what I see in my child. My child is perfect. So, and it's true. All your children are perfect. But sometimes they bite people. <clears throat> um, <laughs> but they are perfect. Uh, Thomas Edison, he was a pretty smart guy, you know, came up with the light bulb that worked uh, for a long time, that Thomas Edison, <laughs> he, he, he said uh, back in elementary school, his teacher sent home a note that said, your child is dumb. We can't do anything for him. And his mother wrote back, you do not understand my boy. I will teach him myself. Listen to what uh, Edison wrote in his autobiography years later, he said, My mother cast over me an influence which has lasted all my life. The good effects of her early training I can never lose. If it had not been for her faith in me at a critical time in my experience, I should never have become an inventor. Her firmness, her sweetness, her goodness were potent powers to keep me on the right path. My mother was the making of me. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. Amen. So, for, for, for better or worse, moms are like the prophets in our life, aren't they? They can speak encouragement to us, right? And their words can devastate us. 
Mom's words are so important. In Judges 4, this mom, Deborah, she pulls out her prophetic side. Here's what happens. Israel's being bullied by these Canaanites. And there's the king of this, this one group. The Canaanite king, is, his name is Jabin. Jabin. He's the bad king. So Deborah, this mother, prophetess, judge, wonder woman, lady, she calls for her general, whose name is Barak. Her general, Barak. And, and she gives Barak a word from the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 6, she sent for Barak and said to him, the Lord The God of Israel commands you this. And here's the words of God. Go, take with you 10,000 men of Nephtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. All right, that sounds pretty good, right? All right, God just, he's like spelled it out. Everything's going to be okay. Well, here's Barak's response to the Lord's command. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you do not go with me, I won't go. Barak is a little unsure. He's the general. He's a little unsure. He's kind of hesitant to step into this situation alone. He'll, I'll go if you go, he's saying. The commander of Israel's army is basically saying, I want my mama there, right? We want Israel's mama there. Barak refused to go into battle without Deborah because he's a realist. And he knows that uh, apart from divine intervention, there's no way they can conquer Jabin's army. They're much bigger. They're way outnumbered. They're, the, Jabin's army has 900 iron chariots. So Barak just, he didn't have that confidence that God was with him, but he knew that God was with Deborah. See, he's smart. He knows God's with you. I'm not so sure he's with me, but he's with you. What's beautiful is this prophetic mom she didn't abandon Barak and just say, forget it, for his lack of faith. She agreed to go, but with a catch. We'll, we'll look at that in a second. And so she ends up, she goes with the army, and her presence gives them strength and confidence. Her presence gives them the strength and confidence. Is there someone in your life whose faith you can bolster just by being there with them? just by your presence. See, that's the power of relationship. You can bolster someone's faith just by coming alongside them and saying, the Lord has given us this day. You can do that for someone. That's how powerful you are. In in Judges 4.14, Deborah tells him, she says to Barak, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera, that's the commander of the other army, into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? See, she had that supernatural sense of timing that the prophetess has. She says, this is the day. This is the day. I see it. She had a supernatural sense of destiny. She says, has the Lord not gone ahead of you? This is the way it's going to turn out. See, moms are like the prophets in our life that give us the courage to be who we're destined to be. Moms are the prophets in our life who give us the courage to be who we're destined to be. According to uh, this author, uh, Laurie Beth Jones, she's a famous speaker. She says about 40% of our lives are based on some sort of personal prophecy spoken to us by someone. 40% of our lives. We crave these personal prophecies. We need an encouraging word to live up to. We need that. 
We need something to shoot for. Prophecies can keep us going when the going gets tough. I know in my life, in my life, I have received a word of God from someone, a minister or someone, just a friend, someone. I've received a word from God that has come back again and again as a form of encouragement. And those words, can, they tend to come back when you feel a little sideways, when you feel a little out of direction, and you're not sure if you are really doing what you're supposed to do. You, you remember that word, and that word, like, it's like it puts you back on the right track and reminds you that you're in the right place. I can go back and remember what God has told me that I am destined for, and that makes a difference. It makes a huge difference when you can go back and remember what God has told you you're destined for. In one of her books, Lori Beth Jones tells a story about a man named Michael Michael said, I grew up in an alcoholic household where I never heard a positive word. On my way home from school, I would always stop in at Jimmy's, the local dry cleaner, because he kept candy on the counter. He got to know me, Jimmy did, and told me one afternoon, Michael, you are a very smart boy. Someday you are going to run a very big business. I would listen to him in disbelief and return home only to get called a dog and knocked around by my dad. But you know, Jimmy the dry cleaner was the only person I can remember believing in me. And today I run a multi-million dollar healthcare organization, just like Jimmy predicted. I guess you could say that a dry cleaner was the prophet in my life. In the book of Amos, it says, Amos says, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go, prophesy to my people Israel. So here's a person, he says, I wasn't a prophet, but God told me to go prophesy. See, just like Amos, you may not see yourself as a prophet. You may not see yourself as that. He was a simple shepherd, But see, prophets come in all sizes and shapes. They're moms, and they're dads, and they're dry cleaners and shepherds. They're ordinary people who see with spiritual eyes and speak with spiritual authority. And they speak not their own agenda over people. They speak God's agenda over people. Very important. Now, let's look back at our at our story here with, with Deborah. I said that Deborah told Barack that there would be a catch because he wanted her to come. So here's what she said. Here it is. In verse 9, she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So she says Israel's going to get a victory, but a woman's going to get the credit. Not you. If, if I go, the honor of the victory is going to be handed to a woman. Well, just as God promised, Israel routes the other army, Jabin's army. Here's, though, where the, stormy, the story gets a, a little uh, weirder, um, and, and maybe not for the squeamish. The enemy commander, Sisera, the thick of the battle, he sees he's lost. He sees his army getting decimated, so he takes off. He runs as fast as he can over the hills, through the dale. He's off, right? And he sees off in the distance a tent. And he wants to try to make it to this tent so he can hide out. So he runs up to the tent. Well, this tent just happens to be 
owned belonged to another woman named Jael, who invites him to come inside and take a nap. So Sisera, he's exhausted from the battle. He's so thankful. Oh, thank you. He comes in. He's hiding in the tent. He falls asleep. And after he's sitting there resting comfortably, verse 21, Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And then she went softly to him. I love this because she's a woman. She's still got class. She went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he's laying fast asleep from weariness. And then the best is the last line. And he died. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad they added that because I wasn't sure. Yeah. Verse 22. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said, Come, I'll show you the man whom you're seeking. So he went into her tent. And there lay Sisera, dead, with the tent peg in his temple. How awesome is this? Right? I saved the best stories for Mother's Day. Right? You're welcome. So Israel wins this great victory that day, but the bragging rights went to a, a woman. In fact, another woman, another heroine in the story, Jael. One scholar points out something pretty cool. At the time, uh, pitching the tents and, you know, driving in the stakes and getting them all nice and ready, that was considered woman's work. So Jael is using what she has to serve God, right? Now, nailing the skull of her enemy into the floor wasn't the traditional feminine uh, behavior expected by her culture. But you know what? God is more concerned with our conforming to his will and being zealous for his purposes than our, than our conforming to some socially constructed gender norm. Amen? Amen. At the end of the story, it says that Deborah's prophetic word comes true in verse 15. So Barak went down Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men at Barak's advance. The Lord routed Sisera and all the chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera abandoned his chariots and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harisheth, Hagayim. All of the troops of Sisera fell by the sword, and not a man was left. In the midst of this pretty brutal story, is a beautiful truth, and I want you to get this, that God doesn't just call the people who are the most qualified out there. He qualifies the people that he calls, right? He equips those that he calls. He doesn't just call those who are pre-equipped. He equips you when he calls you. So maybe you're here today, and you have been made to believe that you don't have what it takes. You're just this, or you're just that. You don't have what it takes. Maybe you've gotten caught up in that really poisonous habit of comparing yourself to other people, which is deadly. And you've got it in your head somehow that there is just something intrinsically wrong with you. You're just missing some vital component part that everyone else has. And you've got that in your head, that lie that's just playing in your head. Or you look at the facade that people are wearing in public and you think, well, I, I just don't measure up. Or maybe you have a tendency to look at that, those posts from the supermom on Facebook. You know who she is, right? The one, she's always got great advice. She's raising 24 kids. 
She cooks them four gourmet organic meals every day, and no one in her home screams ever, right? That mom. And you're thinking, there must be something defective in me. I've got good news for you. Number one, that's a lie, because that's nobody's house. <laughs> but the, the really good news is that you are who God says you are, period. You are who God says you are. You are not who other people say you are. You are who God says you are. And he has prophesied, God has prophesied, that when you accept him, when you turn your life over to him, you are nothing less than a priceless royal child of God. Priceless royal child of God. Completely forgiven for any mistakes of the past in complete right standing with him. You are in right standing. You don't have to try You don't have to try to do more so maybe you can get into right standing with him. It says that you are the righteousness of Christ. All the trying in the world will not make you more of the righteousness of of Christ. He has made you the righteousness of Christ. You don't have to earn that. You don't have to work extra hard to make him pleased with you. Now, this is, this is something, uh, and I'm, I, I've wrestled with myself. You can live your life trying to please God, or you can learn to live your life trusting God. And if you learn to trust him, you will please him. If you live your life only trying to please him, you will burn out. We have to learn trust. It's impossible to please God without faith, without trust. Trust that he is able to do his will through your hands. Yes, your hands. He can do his will through those hands that you have. He can supply all the wisdom you need to raise children, to raise grandchildren. Or if you don't have children, he can supply all the wisdom you need to help you in your career, in your ministry, your relationship, your artistic passions. He can supply all the wisdom you need. You're not defective. You're not lacking anything. If he is in your life, all because of a little thing called grace. Grace. Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 12. He said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Anybody ever feel weak? Yeah? His power is made perfect in that. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Hallelujah. Am I confident that God is with me in whatever battle I face? Some days I am. Just being really honest with you. Some days I am. I'm I'm super confident. There are days I feel invincible. I wake up and I just feel that way. Nothing's gonna touch me. Nothing, nothing can touch me without going through God first. I feel it. Other days, I'm not so sure. I feel a little like Barack some days. I feel weak. Some days I feel far from God and his protection. The truth is, though, regardless of how I feel, the truth is that as a believer, the Holy Spirit is always with me. He never leaves me. The Holy Spirit never leaves me. He's always with me. Whether I feel it or not, He is always with you. 
always, whether you feel it today or tomorrow or Tuesday, He is with you in that moment, rooting for you, challenging you, going before you to make the way, to open the doors. He is going before you. Even when I am flawed and I'm weak, and even when I make sinful choices, God is still there. He's still there. If I'm ever far from God, I'm always the one who needs to turn around and go back. It's never him. He has never left me. I'm the one that has to turn around. I'm the one that needs to just turn back and face him. That's what repenting is. Because he's right there. He's right there. Israel saw victory on that day when, when she turned her heart back to God and trusted in him. Trusted in the word of a mother. A prophetess. Amen. So, here's my benediction to you. To all the young women here today. May you fear nothing because God is with you. To the mature women, may you never think that your time has passed because we need a prophetess like you more than ever We need you in our life. We need you to speak encouragement and wisdom into our lives. And sometimes, yes, even to lead us into one more battle. We need you. Amen? I'm going to pray for you right now. As I do, will our prayer partners come forward? Father God, we love you so much. Thank you, Father, for the incredible gift you've given all of us of our mothers. Father God, our mothers, you put them into our lives. And were they perfect people? No, none of them were. You didn't call them to be perfect. You just called them to be a mother. And you would do the rest. And you spoke through them. We thank you, Father God, for them. We thank you for blessing every single woman here in this room, whether they have children or not, or whether their children are grown, or whether they've graduated on into heaven, Father God. I thank you that you speak to every woman in this room and give them a fresh understanding of their purpose and their power and their value that they have in your kingdom, Father God, and how much you love them and how much we need them. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. For those who are here today and they have broken hearts, Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work right now. He is all over the place, swirling inside our hearts, mending, just comforting us, protecting us, Lord. I praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have anything in the world that you need prayer with you about, man or woman, I encourage you to come up and speak to one of our uh, prayer partners up here. They're going to stand in faith with you and pray with you. And it's not the same when we pray. Things happen. Hallelujah. In the spirit realm, in the spirit realm, right when we pray, right? We use our faith. Like God goes into action. Angels go into action. It's a beautiful thing. So come up and get prayer. And you guys have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your Mother's Day. And we will see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.